0: Second thing is, if you're not aware of it, Josh Lajani and I have a book that is free on Amazon Kindle. It's called Sick to Fit. And if you just go to Amazon and search for Sick to Fit, you'll be able to download it for free and read it on any Kindle-enabled device, even a phone, smartphone, tablet, computer, whatever. All right, let's get to today's episode. This is the Plant Yourself Podcast. I'm Howard Jacobson of plantyourself.com and wellstarthealth.com. This podcast is part of my mission to help you lead a delicious and depression-free life. So today's guest is a repeat. It's Dr. Linda Carney, MD. She returns to the podcast to talk about a holistic approach, a lifestyle approach to treating depression. Because it turns out, yeah, there's all these adverse childhood events. There's genetic predisposition. There's traumatic Shit that life throws at us, and despite all these things, we do have choices and tools and strategies to prevent and recover from this debilitating mental condition. You know, through uh, cognitive behavioral techniques, we can begin to approach and change our thought patterns. Through various modalities informed by polyvagal theory, we can address some of the biomechanical and physiological causes of depression and in, in the traumas that we store in our bodies. And we can also change the very basic details of our lifestyle, the food we eat, the movement we get, the sleep we get, the stress we handle, and social connections that we foster. So it turns out that lifestyle medicine is actually a far better, safer, more effective, cheaper, more democratic way to deal with depression than the current system of, as Dr. Carney says, Ill, Pill, and Bill. So this was an in-person interview on the grounds of the North Carolina State University following the Peapod Plant-Based Prevention of Disease Conference uh, this May 2019. So this has been in the archives for a little while, and it's seeing the light of day today. Now, because we were on a balcony, the all the rooms were were empty for the summer, and so there was a tremendous amount of uh, ambient reflection and echo. So we went outside and, and so we got a little bit of wind noise. We got some birdsong. We got some really annoying ATVs removing trash from trash cans. Uh, I tried to edit out as much of that as I could. Um, but, you know, Dr. Carney's pearls of wisdom are clearly audible throughout and will more than compensate for for any annoying background hums, buzzes and uh, vehicular sounds. Only one quick item of business before we get to the conversation, which is Well Start Health is starting a new cohort this coming Monday, July 8th, 2019. And we're actually pre-starting on the evening beforehand, the Sunday, the 7th. If you've been listening to this podcast for a while and you've really been sort of toying with the changes and approaching and avoiding and getting all gung-ho and slipping back and you're really ready to change the trajectory to go from this oscillation back and forth to a progress orientation towards a goal, check us out. It's at wellstarthealth.com slash program, and you sign up now. We're still doing our special, giving out those free Bluetooth blood pressure cuffs and scales so you and we can both uh, check on your progress and make sure that you are moving in the right direction. So again, wellstarthealth.com slash program. Um, do it this week and you can jump aboard the coming cohort that starts on July 7th slash 8th. All right, so let's get back to it. It's time for a conversation about depression and about how we can overcome it with tools as close as our thoughts and our forks and knives. So without further ado, Dr. Linda Carney, welcome back to the Plant Yourself podcast.
1: Hi, thank you very much. I'm delighted to be here.
0: Yeah. And here, by the way, so you'll, you'll be able to hear the birds. All you ornithologist listeners out there will, can, can write in and tell me what kind of birds we got. Uh, we are on the campus of uh, North Carolina State University following the Peapod Conference, the Plant-Based Prevention of Disease Conference, where you gave a talk that was, and I, uh, I wasn't at the conference, just sort of around the edges, but in talking to people, there was a lot of buzz about your presentation. Thank you. Um, I, believe, I believe it was uh, women's health.
1: Yes, uh, it was actually um, the Dennis Burkett Memorial uh, Keynote Lecture Series, and it, my talk was about women's health and the risks to women for cancer, depression, diabetes, and premenstrual dysphoric syndrome.
0: Okay, And you and I got on this podcast, gosh, probably three, two or three years ago.
1: 2016, January. <laughs> and
0: we talked about women's health. We did. So we ain't going to talk about that today. <laughs> uh, right. Today we're going to talk about depression. And so my first question is, why am I talking to you about depression? I don't, I don't believe you're a psychiatrist. I don't believe you're a psychologist. What does a a doctor who um, who uses lifestyle medicine and plant based medicine specifically have to say about depression?
1: Oh, thank you for asking. That's a great question. Um, I'm board certified not only in lifestyle medicine by the American Board of Lifestyle Medicine but also by the American Board of Emergency Medicine and a lot of depressed and anxious people came into the emergency department and I realized that it was a much bigger problem than I had studied about in medical school. So I set about learning about it and I um, finding myself, uh, after a, a huge loss in my life, finding myself uh, suffering uh, a bout of major depression, um, I learned some modalities that helped me through it. And since that time, I've been sharing all the various things that people can do to reverse their own depression, especially if they would rather not be dependent on medication.
0: Hmm. And so when, when I think about depression, and I've had some uh some guests who've, who've talked about it, mostly, the guests I've had who re- we talked about depression were researchers who had questioned the efficacy and safety, in fact, of the, um, the pharmacopoeia for, of, of psychoactive drugs, you know, the uh, SSRIs, the selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, and, and others. Um, and so the picture that I sort of got and presented to listeners of this podcast was... That there, there's a very strong placebo effect, but very little actual medical, uh, positive medical effect on depression in the vast majority of cases from the drugs that the pharmaceutical companies are making a killing on. Right? If you t- if you talk about um, you know a a, a, mul- a drug for everyone like everyone's anxious, depressed, worried, bipolar, you know like it, there, there's a if, you know a n- normal is a tricky thing but if we think about like what should be normal there's a lot of misery here um, so what um, I guess like what made you wanna not just say look there's these drugs go, go take them because they're very well marketed and, and even and especially to medical professionals like we've got this you know you were trained in the pharmaceutical model why not just what what stopped you f- from just saying you know go to a psychiatrist get a prescription
1: Uh, It's an excellent question. I um, I've asked that myself because
0: the wind is now rustling the am Sorry, the
1: the, the wind is blowing me away. (laughs) Okay, Um, I've asked that myself because you know the the studies show that pharmaceuticals for depression. Really, are no better than placebo. I mean, there, there are studies out there that say that, and yet these are widely prescribed medications, some of the most commonly prescribed medications for depression and for anxiety, which is even more prevalent in our society uh, than depression. And my experience with patients is that People would get on one SSRI or another, and they would feel better temporarily for a little while. And then after a while, maybe a year or two, it would stop working, and uh, the um, they would have to switch. And so, you know, when I, when I got into general practice, after leaving the emergency department and opening my own general practice, I would meet people who had been over a series of a decade and a half on four or five different medicines. Every two or three years, feeling the need to switch because the first one, quote, stopped working. And that's what led me to study into this further. And you're right, I'm not a researcher, but hey, we all stand on the shoulders of giants and there's some great studies out there and I'm pretty excited for the opportunity to share them with your listeners today
0: cool cool and i think we, and let's and we're going to focus specifically on like non psychological treatments is that more or less right like
1: um, uh, we have a little bit to say about i have a little bit to say about psychology but yes there's a bunch of other things besides counseling cuz not everyone has access to counseling not everybody can afford it
0: mm-hmm. yeah and, and also as i'm thinking like you know we we, we have a mind body split right in our in our culture in our society so there is this you know there's certainly more stigma around depression, anxiety than there is about high cholesterol, high blood pressure, heart disease. There sure is. And there's also a sense that, well, what's what's wrong in the head should be fixed in a heady way.
1: Yes, but our, not our, a physical way. Yes.
0: But our, our heads, I keep noticing that our heads are like attached to our bodies <laughs> and that they, they don't work very well when they're severed. <laughs> and so, so it's, it seems to me like there's a lot of things that we're doing in our society just to ourselves, to our bodies on the physical level, that might predispose us or might exacerbate. Um, you know, I, I'm thinking about like, you know, the polar, I remember reading about the depressed polar bear in the Central Park Zoo. So, how does a polar bear get depressed? Well, you put him in the Central Park Zoo yeah. and feed him weird stuff and you don't let him roam around and like be, be a polar bear. Yeah. And when you look at humans we're certainly not being humans
1: <sighs> Yep, I, I totally agree with you it's um it, it's just kind of amazing how the mind-body connection has been ignored I think uh, this is a little bit cynical of a view but I think because it's simply not lucrative to treat people as whole persons and if we treat them as whole persons we really get some fantastic results but it's uh it's not as lucrative as ill pill and bill i will have to admit that
0: (laughs) just popping down some some notes here um so let's 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 start like uh with a good with a good medical question which are so what are the factors that that cause depression or lead to it
1: Oh, excellent question. Um,
0: you, you, you put it on a piece of paper for me to ask. <laughs> I don't want to take credit. This is
1: <laughs> I did, didn't I? Because I, uh, you know, I love um, this fact that we're doing this conversational style, and there are 10 different things I'd like to say about the causes of depression. I'm going to give credit to Dr. Neil Nedley, who wrote a fantastic book called Depression the Way Out, and he's an internal medicine doctor, but he noticed that a high... Uh, a high number of his patients suffered with anxiety and depression in his internal medicine practice so he studied over years and you know there were hundreds of factors that cause depression but they all can be boiled down into about 10 different categories but let me just you know not to monologue here but let me just talk about two of them and these are the two that we can't do anything cannot do anything about and those are genetic so we certainly cannot change our genetics and developmental in other words the way that we were raised and uh, Studies show that when children are raised in single-parent families, that is correlated with a higher risk of later depression and anxiety in life. So uh, there are a lot of different styles of raising children, and the way that we were raised does play a difference into our future risk for depression and anxiety.
0: Right. So I hadn't heard the research about uh, single parent homes, but I, I, I've certainly seen the research on ACEs, right, on adverse childhood events.
1: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, mm-hmm.
0: You know, yep. I, I would. I don't know what the what the controls were in the single parent homes, but I'm sure you know the the dual family home where the dad is uh, you know drunk mm-hmm. and violent is, is probably. Oh,
1: certainly. I'm not saying that every um, you know every child raised with two parents ha- had it rosy, you know, so certainly there are, there are two parent families that are not as healthy as one parent. Family. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. But the studies just, they just, I'm just, I'm not talking about causation now, mm-hmm. but I am saying that they are correlated. But I think it's yeah. more stressful being raised in a single parent family because the single parent has to be so many roles, you know, making the money and doing the parenting and being there. And it's just, it's really hard.
0: hmm Right, and this is and this is research on in the United States where we're sort of fiercely atomized as families, right? So very we're, we're not, much. We're not in vi- villages anymore, where <laughs> everything's kind of fluid and right. everybody's your aunt and uncle.
1: Right, that that's the word that came to mind when you said that we are very compartmentalized. We're not in the village, and so yeah, it is it is harder.
0: Mm-hmm. All right, so we've got we've got, I and mean, we say we say genetics um, specifically. Uh, there are like what. <laughs> Do do we know like um, how how causal that is, or like is there a gene like if you if you sequence someone, and you can say oh you're probably going to be more depressive, or or let, let's say they're raised healthy. Like I don't even know if you if this is anything you're, you you know about, but what I'm curious about is like for me, pretty much all genes have a positive intent in their intended environment. Like someone who who would be depressed in this society might be more cautious or introspective or like what like i don't want people to think that oh, i'm broken right
1: right right and certainly um, although the difficult news about the genetics is if you had a parent that committed suicide that is highly correlated with a greater risk of major depression in your life according to the studies and so is that genetic well you know sometimes schizophrenia runs in families, sometimes uh, depression runs in families. And um, many people feel that, well, if I've got genetics and I was raised in a home with a lot of adverse child events, okay, am I doomed to depression? Do I have no hope? Well, in the 10 categories of causes of depression and anxiety. The good news that Dr. Nedley has found in his research, which is actually um, peer reviewed and published, it's, it's really good, um, of, the, of the 10 categories, you probably will not have depression if you have less than four of his 10. So yes, genetics and development, we can't change that, but just because you have those two, and I have those two myself, um, just because you have those two doesn't mean that you're doomed to depression, nothing you can do about it. There's a lot we can do about it among the other eight factors which are under our control. They're modifiable, which is the good news. That's where the hope comes from.
0: Gotcha. As we let some giant vehicle go past. <laughs> this isn't the, uh, the, the Raleigh 500 <laughs> starting line. Um, so, it's, so to me, it's a little bit like, okay, so... We've all heard about like, Uncle Joe who drinks and smokes and eats bacon every day and lives to 100, but most of us right, have, um, have risk factors. That if we, if we eat a certain way, we're gonna get heart disease, right? we're gonna get diabetes. And so um, you know, th- those, those of us who suspect or know that we have these two unmodifiable by adult risk factors simply need to be careful and to, and to, re- and to embrace the other eight.
1: I totally agree with you. If we know that we've got these hits against it, these, these um, causes uh, active, these factors active, then yep, we're going we're gonna to do our best in the others to make sure that we don't fall prey to depression.
0: Gotcha. Let's pause for a second while we're waiting for, uh, this this looks like it's a, uh, a trash collection vehicle rather than uh, construction. So that Maybe we'll change the bag and go away. Ah, we're we're back after a, a vehicular interruption. <laughs> Where were we?
1: <laughs> I don't remember. Uh, what, what what I can tell you is um, the other depressive uh, factors that that um, the other factors that cause depression. Oh, I was saying that. Yeah, if you if you have the genetics and the developmental hit, how you were raised, you're not doomed to depression because you have to have four or more to be at much higher risk, according to the studies. And so you can work really hard on the other factors, the other eight factors, and get them optimized so that you won't have to succumb to depression.
0: Right, because I've been reading some research about a phrase that I hadn't heard until recently, which was post-traumatic growth. And so the question you know, came up in sort of studies of uh, soldiers, some of whom ha- developed PTSD, post- post-traumatic stress disorder, and others, Uh, were resilient and had the same experiences and used them to essentially become stronger. Mm -hmm. And so that, you know, afraid what what doesn't kill us.
1: Makes us stronger, absolutely.
0: Sometimes. (laughs) Yeah. So maybe it's these other eight factors that determine whether someone with the loaded gun of genetics and some adverse childhood uh, experiences it becomes, you know, grows through, through the trauma or or succumb. So so what what are the other seven, other eight?
1: All right, Um, well there's lifestyle factors such as, that, that we can definitely incorporate such as exercise, and if exercise were bottled into a pill it would be the world's best seller because nothing can do for anxiety and depression what exercise can do according to the studies. Uh, exercise is just key in overcoming it and that's why I mentioned it first if you can get sunlight and fresh air while you're exercising that's an even better bonus so Uh, sorry (laughs)
0: I'm starting. I'm starting to not like that vehicle
1: so uh, one of the factors um, one of the ten factors is lifestyle into lifestyle fits um, 30 minutes of sunlight every day, fresh air every day, and exercise. And exercise is so important. Study after study documents that uh, exercise has a great deal to do with overcoming or preventing anxiety or depression. And I think if we could bottle the effects of exercise into a pill, that pill would be the world's best seller, because nothing has been shown to do for depression and anxiety what exercise as an isolated factor has been shown to do. Now you put that factor with other factors, such as if you can exercise in the sunlight, in the fresh air, and do these other you know, seven things that I'm gonna talk about. You put it together and it's very powerful. But exercise, if, you, if you're only gonna pick one thing, exercise is really key to preventing anxiety and depression or working your way through them if you have them.
0: Hmm. Do we have theories about why that is? because it seems like a so very right angle sort of treatment.
1: Um, well, endorphins come to mind. Um, I, I don't have studies memorized that I can quote you chapter and verse, but circulation to the brain is another one. And then there's the inflammation theory. And I have a lot more to say uh, as our podcast goes along Back about arachidonic acid and brain inflammation. Uh, as, as researchers learn more and more, we're learning that inflammation is an underlying cause of a lot of different diseases. We're talking cancer, we're talking diabetes, we're talking obesity, of course arthritis. Uh, inflammation can be uh, a key factor in anxiety and depression. And we all know that, um, well, the studies do show that exercise is very anti-inflammatory.
0: So uh, can you define inflammation? I've, I've talked, I've had various podcast guests over the years kind of say that inflammation is kind of a root cause, but they, they, all, they all think of it a little bit differently. Yep. Um, so, so just to, to put it in the context that you're going to be talking about, it, what, what is inflammation? I know it's a natural bodily pot process, so it can't be all bad all the time, but uh, right. can you kind of give us the background on inflammation, how you see it as uh, contributing to depression and everything else.
1: Um, there are um, neuroendocrine transmitters that rise in the brain when we are under the inflamed state and um, one of the things that can decrease that inflammatory state is sleep and so that is um, category number four of our ten circadian rhythms. and. Um, I worked in the emergency department for many years, did my share of night shifts and I grew to think that night shifts were invented to keep the divorce lawyers in business. And night shifts are really hard uh, on us and they are one of those hit categories. People who uh, have to work at night and some of us, hey, some of us do, that's just the nature of the jobs, the fields that we have chosen or the fields that are available to us to work and um, much higher risk uh, for depression in night shift workers. In fact. Uh, to sort of underscore the circadian rhythm inflammatory uh, connection, those who work 10 years of night shifts have the same risk of dying of a heart attack as those who smoke a pack of cigarettes a day for 10 years, which Mm. is, that was astounding to me. And when I found that out, I switched specialties. I, I needed a day job, and I became a general practice doctor, and so now that's why I run a solo general practice in Austin, Texas.
0: hmm and you sleep at night.
1: I do, I do sleep at night.
0: Uh, and you don't smoke ten, ten, a pack of cigarettes a day? No, either?
1: I don't smoke a uh, pack of cigarettes a day, yes.
0: Okay. Cool, okay, so we've got um, lifestyle factors, the sleep, well, keep going.
1: Okay, um, so then there are toxins that we can get, such as lead, mercury, arsenic, bismuth, and other toxins.
0: And and where do we get them?
1: Well, fish are a very key source of a lot of these, especially mercury, um, arsenic, uh, there's there's a lot of biomagnification that occurs when you eat animal flesh or the flesh of fish or animal products because although the environment that the animal is in or the food that the animal is eating may have several parts per million of this toxin, when it gets into the peripheral tissues of the animal, specifically the fat of the animal, it gets accumulated. And in the case of fish little fish eat plants that uh, you know filter the water for these toxins and plants you know keep the water clean and then bigger fish eat the littler fish and then bigger fish and bigger fish and so you get up to the really big fish like tuna and there's a lot of toxins in the flesh of fish even though fish is lower in saturated fat than you know pork and beef it still has Mm. so many toxins that it's got a lot of neurologic effects and this has been documented in study after study
0: Hmm. And so if we, if we think about sort of a naturalistic view of, of health and we look at like blue zones and we see that wolf, and fish has been a part of healthy diets, um, like all bets are off given what we've done to the oceans.
1: Well, there's a lot of dead zones in the ocean. I, I live in Texas and we're near the Gulf Coast and there's a huge dead zone where nothing grows because of pollution in the oil industry. Nothing grows in a in an area that's as big as all of New England states, the six states of New England put together. And that's, Mm. and and there's dead zones all over the globe. And yeah, the oceans are are getting toxic. And so um, yes, although the blue zone people, uh, some of them did eat fish, um, there are two blue zones that are decreasing in population size and that is Okinawa and Sardinia. Only the Loma Linda blue zone does not appear to be shrinking. Mm. And fish is not a big part of the diet there.
0: Uh huh. And, and by shrinking, you mean people aren't living as long, or people are moving away, or they're not reproducing. Like right.
1: What? Not not living as long. The the uh-huh. number of octogenarians, nonagenarians, centenarians is decreasing in Sardinia and Okinawa as they get more westernized.
0: Mm. Mm-hmm. And specifically, the you think the fish consumption might be part of that?
1: Um, I. We can't can't know, right? Yeah, I don't have enough data to say that fish is part of that. I'm just, I'm not talking about cause. I'm talking about correlation and association there. But it's just an observation that that I have made. And so, yes, you know, I think small amounts of fish as a flavoring, as a condiment, which is, I think, you know, how a lot of them use, especially in Okinawa. um, I think that that can, you know, be tolerated, you know, because the rest of the diet is so healthy. But I'm not saying that people should add fish to their diet as if it's something that they need. The, uh The fish industry wants you to believe that you'll be deficient in omega-3 if you don't get your fish, but that's simply not true. You can get your omega-3 where the fish get it, which is from green plants. In fact, if you eat leafy greens twice a day, you're going to get all the omega-3 fatty acids, essential fatty acids that you need. The trick is to eat a diet lower in fat, and the lower in fat the diet, the better it's correlated with the prevention of anxiety and depression.
0: Gotcha. All right, so we got toxins, number five. We're halfway through your list. All
1: right, and so then there's the addictive factors. We know that alcohol, nicotine, caffeine, um, marijuana, these things, cocaine, these things are addicting. And the studies show a positive correlation that those who use the substances are more likely to suffer anxiety and depression. And this can be, you know, which came first, the chicken or the egg. they're, they're, but we know that they're associated, so, so there's that. And there is some evidence to suggest that today's feel good is tomorrow's feel bad. L- let me illustrate. like When we take a hit of, let's say, cocaine, um, we're going to feel better temporarily, much better than normal. If you picture baseline as a horizontal line, and then above it, uh, there's the unnatural high. The unnatural high is caused by the triggering of a release of neurotransmitters that make us feel good, the monoamines, dopamine, serotonin, the endorphins, and we get a bunch of them at once when you take a drug that's addictive like uh, cocaine. And broccoli, when you eat it, never does this. Broccoli keeps you, you know, you feel better if you're really hungry and you eat some broccoli. You can feel better, but you don't feel super better. And when we feel super better and the uh, neurotransmitters have all burst into the bloodstream at once, we cannot metabolize them all at once. They get frittered away, they get wasted. And. Thus, you get depleted so that as time goes on, you're sinking down below. Picture a diagonal line from the unnatural high to the unnatural low, and that diagonal line goes right through that horizontal baseline. And then in the future, maybe it's a day, maybe it's a week, maybe it's a year, depends on other factors. But in the future, there you are at the unnatural low, and you're depleted of your feel good chemicals. You're depleted of endorphins, you're depleted of dopamine, serotonin, the other feel good chemicals, and you'll do anything to get back to baseline. You just want to feel normal again. This is the basis of addiction, because people know that when they took the drug, whether it was the the caffeine or the nicotine, they felt better yesterday, and today, they just want to feel normal. They just Mm. don't want to feel bad anymore, and that's- So it's
0: it's like taking a loan from a loan shark.
1: Yes, that's a great analogy, I love that.
0: Right, like all you want on day three is for them not to break your kneecaps.
1: Right, right. Very right. You're good. Not looking
0: for another loan.
1: Absolutely. And for caffeine, I say that today's energy is tomorrow's fatigue because it's like hitting the ATM machine every day. If you took out $20 from your bank account every day, every day, every day, in 30 days, if you didn't do things that that replace that adequately, your bank account would be lower. And um, caffeine actually can cause a depletion of energy over time so that you don't even feel normal unless you have it. And my patients who give up caffeine and switch to a low-fat, oil-free, plant-based diet of whole, unprocessed foods, they find that within a few months, they have more energy than they ever had while they were using caffeine regularly each morning.
0: Hmm. So my understanding was that um, when you're when you're doing a you know a high on a regular basis, whether it's you know dopamine-producing hyperpalatable foods or psychoactive drugs, that what happens is you become habituated to the high, and so baseline starts feeling yucky but you're saying we're not even at baseline
1: no no you're absolutely right howard i'm not saying that my explanation was the only explanation there's a lot of factors in play here and yours is equally valid we do reset our set point to be accustomed to a higher degree of stimulation and when we don't have that higher degree of stimulation you're right baseline does not feel normal for us
0: Mm but but you're saying that it's like when we when we look at the levels of chemical in our bloodstream functionally we are in fact below baseline we are right afterwards we are
1: and and uh, and later on if we have time I would love to talk to you about how to get more serotonin into your brain
0: okay yeah we because the pills don't seem to
1: yeah they're 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 predicated on trying to prevent the breakdown of serotonin but and that's why everybody feels better initially but as time goes on they stop working you get Mm -hmm. habituated
0: Right, or or that, or your brain is going, okay. We, we gotta. We gotta work harder.
1: Right, right.
0: Because right? because we we know what normal is, and this drug doesn't.
1: Right, right.
0: Okay, so four to go. All
1: right, um, there are medical reasons why people become anxious or depressed. Hepatitis C is highly correlated with anxiety or depression, and so is a stroke. I mean, it's you know you gotta. Uh. You can you can intuit that one, you know, that people with uh, physical losses, loss of abilities, loss of the ability to speak or walk, that could set you up for depression because it's a loss. Diabetes itself is an inflammatory state, and that's correlated with depression and anxiety. Terminal cancer, I mean, that's kind of obvious. And then head injuries also. So those are uh, things that, you know, there's, there's hope for some of these things that when we eat a whole foods plant-based diet that is... Um, free of oils and, and low in fat, we can help ourselves to avoid some of these medications. And I have seen, you know, some of them can be reversed. Like I've seen people get their function back after a stroke if we get them soon enough. And I've seen diabetes type 2 completely reverse. I've seen head injury patients um, make dramatic recoveries and be able to return to uh, full functioning.
0: Hmm. Through, through uh, the, ben- the, the the supportive diet.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. and. If I could talk about um, social, so the social hit is when you go through a big loss, um, the, the, that absence of support, whether your spouse died or you became divorced or, or whatever the loss is, you know, maybe the loss of a sibling, that's another um, hit category for depression. Hmm. And then there's um, the hits to the frontal lobe.
0: Meaning... Well... Tra- like, tra- like traumatic injury or...?
1: Actually, these kind of hits are psychological hits. Um, focusing on hopelessness or thinking of yourself as helpless, jumping to conclusions, overwhelming yourself, that's a big one today, um, self-labeling yourself negatively, undervaluing the rewards and. Um, Perfectionism, um, mm-hmm. low frustration tolerance. So these sound,
0: these, these sound like the category of um, dysfunctional thoughts of cognitive Ex- behavioral therapy.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. And that is one of the key things that has been shown to help because um, cognitive behavioral therapy has um, a lot to help you with this hit category. to uh, These hits to the frontal lobe. We have a lot that we can do, and, and there's a lot of hope in cognitive behavioral therapy. In fact, cognitive behavioral therapy in head-to-head studies with the pharmaceuticals have found to be equally efficacious. They're, they're just as good as the pills.
0: Right. Although that's a pretty low bar. That's consider, a low bar. Considering it's just, it's just as efficacious as uh, sugar.
1: True. But um, they're no worse than the pills.
0: Right. But, but um, I'm trying to remember if I, I think I saw a study about cognitive behavioral therapy plus exercise.
1: Oh, absolutely! When you combine these modalities, then you get success rates like 98.
0: Uh-huh. So I'm going to ask a little bit. Of, I think it might be a risky question, which you can feel free to uh, not want to answer. Um, but you know, so you're talking about like marijuana, cocaine. I've seen some preliminary research done by, by MAPS, by the the Psychedelic Society, um, on combining therapy with a hit of a psychedelic. Have, have you looked at any of that research?
1: Um, most of that research is short-term data and um, kind of like the bariatric studies, um, bariatric surgery patients do very well at one year, but you get five years, 10 years out and the data isn't so good. And I, that was my sense when I read those studies that you're talking about.
0: Mm-hmm. Meaning that we don't have enough data yet or that it's a short-term effect uh, because they haven't changed something more fundamental about how about the ideology and
1: well, I don't know if this is confirmation bias on on my part, but um, it could be that um, it's it's worse for you to take cocaine. But yeah, I think it needs to be studied.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, so I think we're at number nine.
1: Yes, we are, and that is nutrition. And so a whole food, plant based diet without oil and low in fat. Uh, with a variety of fruits and vegetables, plenty of starches, has really been shown to be a great asset in helping people to prevent anxiety and depression and overcome it. So, um, and, and there's there's many different reasons why this is, and I and I just love to talk about mm. the uh, the various uh, factors be- of what before, makes this work. Yeah.
0: Before we get there, what's what's the strongest evidence? Because I had this conversation, I want to say a year and a half ago and there was a lot of sort of like putting together little puzzle pieces but there was there was nothing that I found that was like a a strong piece of evidence
1: Oh excellent first I'd like to tell you about kind of the reductionist method of you know the little pieces I'd like to tell you about uh, the research on folate versus folic acid supplements uh, the research on monoamines the research on arachidonic acid and all these relate to um, the plant-based diet, and then I'd like to tell you some studies that were prospective cohort studies that, you know, while they're not as rigorous as randomized clinical trials, dietary patterns do make a big difference, and we've got some really great studies that I'd love to get into. Great. Get into talk about that. Let's do it. All right. Well, the first thing I'd like to talk about is monoamines. Monoamines such as serotonin, dopamine, norepinephrine, these are our feel-good chemicals. And in the brain there is an enzyme called monoamine oxidase, and it breaks down excessive amounts of monoamines because you really don't want too much monoamines. And so a plant-based diet has been shown to be best to reduce safely the activity of monoamine oxidase because you don't really want your feel-good chemicals destroyed prematurely and many plant foods contain phytonutrients phyto means plant that appear to naturally inhibit the mao the monoamine oxidase so what are those plants according to dr lie in 2014 he publishes in the american journal of clinical nutrition apples berries onions grapes and oregano were found to have phytonutrients that naturally and safely inhibited the activity of the enzyme monoamine oxidase so that you could keep your monoamine levels like serotonin up and when you think of the names of the drugs um, those names fit into pharmaceutical categories ssri means selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor so what are they inhibiting they're inhibiting the uptake and destruction of your serotonin so the pills are trying to help you keep more serotonin circulating in your bloodstream well Take apples, berries, onions, grapes, and oregano as, as your, you know, medication, and uh, it can give you when you combine it with the other modalities a greater degree of success success than the pills can.
0: Hmm. And I'm I'm guessing that no pharmaceutical company has paid for a three arm trial with uh, with Zoloft placebo and apples, berries, oregano, (laughs) et cetera.
1: (laughs) Well, not with specifically those that tamp down monoamine oxidase. Um, And you're right, I I don't know of any drug companies that would because I think it would be uh, not in their marketing interest. And we know that pharmaceutical companies pay for studies, where the the outcome is going to be slanted towards the the favorable marketing of their product. And we know that companies that sell food or pills have killed studies before they come to light, before they ever get published, studies that are going to um, adversely affect the sales of their products. And we we know that that's happening. Right, Uh, well,
0: yeah, lawyers are taught never ask a question on cross-examination that you don't know the answer to.
1: Exactly, exactly. So, in um, speaking about serotonin, um, how can we make more of it? Would you permit me to explain how I think plant-based diets help us to make more serotonin?
0: Okay, can we, are, are we going into the gut microbiome?
1: Oh, the gut microbiome is a whole other wonderful thing, and it's there's such a gut-brain connection, but actually, I wasn't gonna go there on this one. Ooh,
0: we got something new, okay, okay go okay. for it.
1: So tryptophan is an amino acid precursor of serotonin, but the problem is, That most foods contain a smaller amount of tryptophan compared to the other amounts of amino acids. And all the amino acids are there at the brain's doorway called the blood-brain barrier. And all the amino acids are competing to get into the brain through the blood-brain barrier. So here's the question. How can little tryptophan, who is outnumbered, win the race against the other amino acids? Mm-hmm. So, as Dr. so be-
0: before before you go there, so I, what I've heard from people who uh, are not plant-based advocates is that tryptophan is like the re- is a big reason why you should not why you should be adding animal products to your diet.
1: You know, there's that myth out there that they have so much, and this study that I'm about to explain to you tells exactly why that is marketing myth and not true science. In fact, what this study is going to show is that high protein meals caused tryptophan levels in the brain to go down. Because you see, that's where the tryptophan matters, in the brain, not circulating in the rest of the body, because the brain is where the serotonin is needed. And high carbohydrate meals caused tryptophan levels in the brain to go up. High carbohydrate meals caused serotonin levels in the brain to go up.
0: Okay, And, um so can we can I get a copy of the the URL so I can put this in the show notes for people? Do you have this the, a copy of the study?
1: You know what? I'll work on getting that for you after great. after um, next great. week. I will be home and I will be able to work on that for you.
0: Great, great. So high carb affects tryptophan levels positively in the brain. Yes. How on earth?
1: Okay, it's a great question. Eating meals rich in carbohydrate boost our insulin level because insulin is needed to deal with you know, the carbohydrate that, you know, gets metabolized into glucose in the blood. So insulin's key opens the door to the muscles so that the amino acids can get sucked up by the muscles for fuel. So it's, if the, it's as if the muscles are calling, hey, hey, we need fuel here because we've just had a carbohydrate-rich meal and the insulin is here. With all the other amino acids getting called over to the muscles, getting sucked up, Um, by the muscles and they're getting called over because simply they're in greater volume, they're in greater numbers, and so they're going to go into the muscles more preferentially than little tryptophan. And so when the other amino acids are used up by the muscles, little tryptophan becomes first in line to cross the blood-brain barrier because it's simply there still waiting its turn. And carbohydrate-rich meals boost brain levels of tryptophan and that's how they increase brain levels of serotonin.
0: Okay, so I have heard, that, and may even have read, that in head-to-head studies, and this is you know, like in the diabetes research, that protein actually raises insulin levels higher, than, spiking it higher than carbohydrates.
1: Oh, that's an excellent, excellent thing to to bring up. I'm really glad. So let me explain how animal protein meals make you less happy and plant protein meals make you more happy by boosting serotonin levels. When we eat animal protein, it's as if um, there's gum dried in that lock in Muscle's door that I spoke about, and so insulin cannot work. And so blood sugar levels rise even higher and the pancreas is like it's tasting the blood flowing by, saying, oh, that blood is too sweet. And that's a problem. Why is it a problem? Because the high glucose levels turn the artery walls sticky, like cotton candy or honey. And this that's is
0: like the... the, the Saccharide, sugared, right? When, <laughs> when the blood becomes sugared a little bit? Yes, when, which, when there's. I guess, which is the uh, what, what A1C is measuring.
1: Right. And so, with the glucose levels high, the, the pancreas produces more and more and more insulin, mm-hmm. but it's ineffective because the doors are locked against it. And insulin's key will not fit in the lock in the door because the animal protein is like gum dried in the lock. And so you're right, insulin levels do rise. I routinely measure fasting insulin levels in my patients who are on standard American diet, and many of the young people who have normal blood sugar levels and normal hemoglobin A1Cs, that's the 3-month average of blood sugar levels, they have very high rates of fasting insulin.
0: Mhm. Gotcha. So so that the it's it's, it's not the insulin that lets the tryptophan into the brain. It's the insulin working properly in the locks of the, of the muscle cells. Right. So if everything's working right, um, just statistically more of the other amino acids will go into the muscles, and so tryptophan can can make its way into the brain.
1: Absolutely. That is how plant-based diets um, make you happier. That is how greens blunt the blues.
0: So how like I'm thinking am now I'm thinking from the perspective of the the plant right so so they want you know wants to be evolutionarily happy and so makes berries for and makes them sweet so the humans want them and also makes that makes us happy when we eat them because mm-hmm, it puts it. tryptophan in the brain how come that doesn't work as reliably and as fast as alcohol cocaine um, Snickers bars, Kit Kats, Yeah. like why why aren't we positively addicted to berries?
1: I think that's a great question. I think that whole unprocessed plant-based foods that are low in fat really don't have enough calorie concentration to hit our pleasure center and flood all these neurotransmitters into the bloodstream as much as hyperpalatal foods that are you know, a lot of sugar added, refined sugar, uh, salt, fat. We, we know that the studies show that we get a better dopamine hit, a better release of dopamine, when you have higher calorie concentration foods. Mm. And yet, the way that I think that greens blunt the blues is through uh, folate. And um, when, you, when you understand that, yes, hyperpalatable foods can make you... Um, You know happy in the short term in the long term which is you know what we really care about every day every day being happier Mm -hmm. it it doesn't work and we're not addicted to berries as good as they are you know as carbohydrate as they are because they simply don't raise our level of um feel-good neurotransmitters as high because they're simply not that calorie dense
0: Mm. so in effect the berries are trying to like they're trying to seduce us a little bit Mm mm-hmm well, yeah. e- eat us, and we'll make you real happy. Yes. Even th- even though we're not gonna, we're not nearly as filling uh, as a sweet potato.
1: Right. Right. Yes.
0: Ah, sneaky little buggers.
1: Yes, and they're colorful. They're they're trying to attract our eye. Right.
0: <laughs> for those for those of you who are not colorblind. <laughs> yes. Right? Yes. Um, you see what I, what I have to do to to, to, to see colors. So <laughs> I'm pointing out my uh, my bright blue pearlescent nails. Um, so yeah. Folate, is that the the end of the folate story, or is there more to it?
1: Oh, yeah. Um, Folate comes from foliage, which is leafy greens. But folic acid comes from pill supplements, or it could be liquid. And many women are told, you know, when they're trying to conceive a baby or, you know, when early in their pregnancy, they're told to take a prenatal vitamin, which contains folic acid. I don't tell my patients to do that. I tell my patients to eat leafy greens at two different meals a day Mm. because folic acid supplements have been found to increase the risk of breast cancer 153%. They also increase a man's risk of prostate cancer 153%. So the distinction that I make is between folic acid, which I advise my patients against, and folate, which comes from foliage. So when you get it from green plants, it's a much more usable form, it's much better for you, and it's not harming you. So I ask my patients not to take the commercially prepared um, prenatal vitamins. You know, they can, they can get their um, iodine from, you know, sea vegetables, which are leafy greens. They can, they can get their folate from leafy greens, cooked or raw. Hmm.
0: And that, uh, does that include, like, lettuces or just Yes, uh,
1: even iceberg lettuce. I'm not saying that that's the epitome of healthy, but even iceberg lettuce has folate, and mm-hmm. it does have nutrients in it.
0: Yeah, but us whole food plant-based snobs, we would, we would like, not eat the iceberg lettuce and, not have, like, not have anything, right? Like, if it's there. It's like, you know, if, you, if the only place you're, you know, you're driving down Route 95 and the only place is in McDonald's, and you're like, can I just have the uh, onions, uh, pickles, tomatoes, and iceberg lettuce? Like, there's a meal.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, right. Well, s- some of us, uh, some of us eat that. Yeah, some of us, some of us go into a restaurant, and the only thing those of us with a lot of food allergies and we're whole food plant based, no oil, um, all they have that we can eat is iceberg lettuce. But my. My goal when I go into a restaurant with my friends or loved ones or business contacts is I'm there not so much for the food, but for the social connection. And so, you know, if if iceberg lettuce is all there is to eat, it sort of makes me look weird, but, you know, I'll eat that and, you know, and I'll ask Mm -hmm. for, you know, maybe four servings Uh and it's not going to fill me up, but sometimes I have to eat before I go to a restaurant if I know that it's a restaurant that's not going to have anything that... You know can really fill me up like a baked potato
0: mm-hmm right right yeah and uh, you know it's good it's good practice to realize that we we don't have to like eat exactly what we think we need on schedule all the time that we're a little bit more resilient to life right. than, than that right um, so can I ask you about oil yes cuz you know I've, I've you know cut my teeth in the in the T Colin Campbell Se Neil Barnard model of you know oil is a highly processed food it's no good for us and, and through through the podcast I've also interviewed a lot of people in lifestyle medicine who are I would say allied with the plant-based idea but they they feel like they are being more um, ecumenical about looking at all the research so they'll look at like Mediterranean diet which has olive oil like is there evidence that can ingesting oil is bad or is it kind of you know is it like the you know the the 15-minute later brachial studies or is there is like what's the state of uh, of like epidemiology or benchtop or clinical trials to establish that even in small amounts of oil are harmful
1: well I you mentioned as you asked your question the ecumenical view and um, ecumenical can be okay if you don't sacrifice truth So, um, where I draw the line for ecumenism, whatever the ideology we're talking about, is okay, yeah, let's all be one, let's all be brothers, but let's not sacrifice truth. And we have a lot of good science that says that, number one, oil doesn't have any fiber. And Americans are deficient in fiber. 97% of Americans, according to the studies, are deficient in their intake of fiber. So that's number one against oil. As good as it is, 100% of its calories are from fat. It is the most calorie-dense, calorie-concentrated food on the planet, about 4,000 calories per pound. And since most Americans are suffering overweight, um, if they eat little bits of oil, it can really torpedo their weight loss efforts. The other things about oil that um, I have against it and why I um, personally don't choose not to consume it is because the more oil the greater the risk of um, diabetes. Because fat, dietary fat, is a risk factor for diabetes type 2, and that's been shown in study after study. And there are people who reverse um, diabetes type 2 even without going plant-based, if they will simply get their diet low enough in calories from fat as a percentage of total calories. And uh, nuts, seeds, um, coconut, um, oil, these are just very, very high in fat. Dr. McDougall says that the fat that you eat is the fat that you wear, and I tend to agree with him. One thing that came from my own experience is I was vegan, but I was a high-fat vegan to begin with, because I didn't know this about oil until um, 2009 when I was hired by Rip Esselstyn for the Engine 2 immersion. I just I really didn't realize how important the oil thing was. And I listened to Dr. Esselstyn when I was the medical director for the Engine Two Immersion, and what he said made sense, and the science that he showed was very credible. I, I found it to be, you know, as as I looked into it in the, in the months following my first um, gig, you know, working for them, I, I looked into it and I thought yeah this makes a lot of sense there's nothing flawed about these studies he's right so I gave up my beloved olive oil and I'm Sicilian and it was tough to give up olive oil but within a mo- one month after giving up olive oil and remaining whole food plant-based my asthma was gone and I've had asthma since infancy and at times been steroid dependent and it's wonderful to not have asthma anymore even if I get colds or bronchitis
0: mm, gotcha
1: which I don't tend to get anymore. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: okay. um, so we mentioned arachidonic acid. What, um, what, what is it? What, what, what role does it play here? And how, how do we get not too much, not too little?
1: Okay. Arachidonic acid is an omega-6 fatty acid, so it's an essential fatty acid. And the sources, the principal sources, are chicken, eggs, meat, and fish. But chicken and eggs contribute more than all other sources combined. Just one egg, eating just one egg, can significantly raise your um, levels of arachidonic acid in the blood, and the studies show that omnivores consume nine times more arachidonic acid than those eating plant-based diets.
0: Okay, and and what's the relationship between arachidonic acid and depression?
1: Okay, well. I love interventional studies because they're the gold standard in nutritional research. And so what they did to answer the very question that you asked is they gathered the subjects, they changed their diets, and they found out what happens. So they took men and women who habitually were eating meat at least once per day, and they took away their eggs and their chicken and along with their other animal products, and within two weeks their moods improved according to this study by Beesold, which was published in the Nutrition Journal in 2012.
0: Okay. And so and, and arachidonic acid is implicated? Absolutely. As, as one of the...
1: Absolutely. They postulated that it was arachidonic acid that was the mechanism by which they, um, they felt better. Mm-hmm. Arachidonic uh-huh. acid levels went down. And-
0: uh-huh. So what is arachidonic acid and what does it do to us?
1: It's an omega-6 fatty acid, right. and it's inflammatory. And the higher the levels of arachidonic acid, the greater the levels of brain inflammation. And the hot topic in research now is inflammation in the brain and mood disorders. That's that's what, where the researchers are focusing is on inflammation. And arachidonic acid is something that they're studying even more. So we're going to see more evidence come out in the future on this.
0: Mm-hmm. So it's, 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 it's um it's essential because we can't make it ourselves, but because of the volume of these animals that we're eating, like, what, you know, so I'm hearing someone thinking, what about someone who's entirely plant based? Are they deficient in arachidonic acid if it's essential?
1: Not in any of the people that I have um, studied. They're not. Okay. Yeah, they're getting plenty. Uh huh. In fact, um, I will tell you that I measure um, omega 3 profiles. Uh, I I think Quest Diagnostics Lab has the very best one, because not only do they give you actual levels, but they give you low risk, moderate risk, and high risk. And so I I really like that. That's very meaningful for the patient. They can sink their teeth into that. And there are people who are eating whole food, plant-based diets, but eating too much fat, and they're getting a relative amount of too much omega-6, one of which is arachidonic acid. And that makes them look relatively deficient in EPA and so they're in the high-risk category mm. and they're saying wait a minute why am I in the high-risk category when I'm eating a whole food plant-based diet well it's too much coconuts too much nuts seeds maybe oil you know the the vegan margarine and and and, and the vegan uh, cheeses and butters and that kind of thing uh, the the And n- not that I have anything against veginase but it is made from soybean oil and these things are going to make the difference for some people who are genetically predisposed to anxiety and depression
0: Hmm. And so I've, I've been seeing in the last couple of years the idea that vegans are going to be deficient in like ALA or EPA or something like we can get all the all of the omega threes that we want, but we we don't convert them efficiently. So we should be taking supplements.
1: I have found flaws in those research. That I I do not believe that there is any research that shows that taking omega-3 supplements or eating fish is going to make you live longer, prevent memory loss, stay more well. There is no evidence that has convinced me that that is true. However, it does sell a lot of supplements, and the $11 billion supplement industry has invested a lot of money into making people think That they should be scared that if they become whole food plant based, they're going to be deficient in um, EPA and DHA. You know,
0: ALA. The precursors. I'm trying to remember. I thought I saw a, a nutrition facts video by Dr. Greger suggesting that it wouldn't hurt to to supplement. With with ALA, I think that, uh, I don't know if you've seen that or if you've seen the research it's based on, but you're
1: I have, and I love Dr. Greger, and I'm not going to say anything against him. However, well, we're
0: talking we're talking about evidence and evidence and, and well, interpretation. We're talking,
1: we're talking about evidence. I have not been convinced by those studies that anyone needs to supplement with DHA or ALA if they will eat a whole food plant based diet with leafy greens at two different meals a day. Now, is that all I eat? No. Um, when I went to the engine Two immersion I learned about the importance of eating greens for breakfast and so my breakfast is I have veggies for breakfast um, the start smart system that you'll find on my website drcarni.com shows how eating categories of food like beans greens squash and yams can mm-hmm. be very favorable to the stabilization of moods because the resistant starch in beans keeps blood sugar levels from swinging low and so you have less anxiety and less depression when your blood sugar levels are more stable and so um it, we, and we had some fascinating results at the engine two immersion we we took the employees of whole foods market about 100 at a time to a beautiful resort north of austin texas and we fed them a diet without meat dairy eggs oil alcohol and uh Diminishing amounts of caffeine as the week went by. My staff drew the blood on Monday and Friday, and the results were great. Blood pressures came down, and weights came down, and and uh, cholesterol levels. You know, they would drop like a hundred points in five days. But one of the other things that I specifically brought this up for is moods improved, and nobody was being supplemented with DHA mm-hmm. with you know EPA, and when I test people who, like me, eat extremely low amounts of fat, because I eat you know very little fat. And I have patients such as I have Ken, my oil-free, whole-food, plant-based type 1 diabetic, and he never eats any nuts, any seeds. He doesn't take uh, supplements besides B12. Um, he is not deficient in vitamin D, he's not deficient in vitamin E uh, or K, And he's not deficient in EPA, DHA, ALA. He's not deficient in any omega-3 fatty acid. Really, the thing is, when people eat too many nuts and seeds, more than they can handle, they're going to have a relative deficiency. That's what this test is going to come out looking like, because they're having too high of a ratio, too too much omega-6 compared to omega-3. And really, that ratio should not be higher than 4 to 1 omega-6 compared to omega-3.
0: Mm-hmm. So, so one one way we can be deficient is to take in too much of something else right. that throws us out of balance. It does. Gotcha. Yep. Um, so, what about these studies that show that plant based diets are effective against depression? Like, what's 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 the best you got?
1: Oh, the smiles trial by Dr. Jacka, and that came out in January of 2017. Uh, love that study because although. They were not completely whole food plant-based in this study. They were nearly, so they had very minimal amounts of animal protein. And the people rated their um, MADR scores. Uh, What's that? Uh, yeah, knew you would ask that. Sorry, I, I, blanking. <laughs> well, just what is
0: it? I don't need the uh, the acronym.
1: Yeah. It's, but it's a, what it's what a measure is, of depression? It's, it's it's a measure of depressive symptoms. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And uh, the S stands for symptoms. And the um, M stands for measurement. <laughs> Oh, measurement of anxiety and depressive um, symptoms. Anyway, and so those scores of anxiety and depression symptoms went way down after the five weeks of the trial. It was a really um, impressive study. Uh, I don't remember the N number, but it was significantly high that when, uh, when I studied it, I was quite impressed, and I wasn't the only one.
0: Wow. So, I mean, one thing that comes to mind is an objection to a study like that is that if we if we if we're doing a drug, we can give people a placebo, but if we're if we're changing people's diets, we can't we can't really placebo a diet, um, and it looks like you know maybe seventy to eighty percent of the healing effect of just about anything is in the mind, yeah, right. So is, it could, so you know like the the SSRIs get good numbers except compared to placebo. Uh-huh. Um, so, are there are there like trials where people are put on like an Esselstyn diet? Because one of the objections to his 2014 family medicine paper about you know, 198 consecutive people um, going, you know, getting his intervention and most of them, you know, reversing or doing really well was that there was no placebo and that you know having Essie stand in front of you and Essie and Anne and lecture you for five hours right, could could change the way you think about your symptoms. Is there is there any sort of head-to-head trial with people believe they're getting you know like keto versus paleo versus uh, mediterranean versus whole food plant-based where everybody in every arm thinks they're doing the right thing
1: I really think that that's a great question and needs to be studied more I think the closest thing we have to that is the Adventist Health Study 2 and Adventists make a very unique group to study because by and large most of them don't use tobacco Most of them don't use alcohol, but only um, about 50% of them are vegetarian, and of that, only 8% are vegan. And so the researchers studied the different groups, each of whom thought that they were doing what was very best for them. Mm. So that answers your question about, you know, placebo-controlled. It's not really placebo-controlled. These are, you know... Prospective studies and population studies, but there was way less depression scores and anxiety in the uh, vegans and the whole food plant based eaters. And of those, um, even a smaller percentage were oil free low fat. But, and so, you know, further research certainly needs to be done, but that's uh, one thing. And then Dr. Beesold has done other studies, and I believe. Mm-mm. I'm not gonna guess on what year that was published because I don't have that in my memory. But there was a 62% odds of decreasing your risk of depression by adopting a whole foods plant-based diet according to Dr. Biesold's other study.
0: Mm. Great, so, if, so if, if you're not convinced by the, the really excellent research on diabetes, heart disease, prostate cancer, breast cancer, autoimmune, if you need if you need mood disorders to to be added to that list there there is pretty good evidence
1: i think so and i think the best evidence of all is dr neil's neil nedley's evidence um of his own research which is uh well documented it's amazing he's written a program uh, based on his book Depression: The Way Out, and the Depression Recovery Program is a community-based program, and people can administer it if they can get you know some free space in a church that they can administer this program in the community, and the results are astounding. Thousands of people have been through this program, which is based on a whole food plant-based diet, and uh, you know whole unprocessed foods, and. Uh, Exercise is part of it, and listening to classical music is part of it. Using the GE Phillips Blue Light Therapy because this blue light simulates um, uh, daylight, and uh, and if you look at it in the morning, it can significantly help uh, moods in people who are not getting up sunlight, especially in northern climes, and um, and and filling the mind with you know positive thoughts. So he's got this whole program, but. Oh, and cognitive behavioral therapy. He teaches people that. So it's this eight-week course that you can go through in the community, or he's got also his live-in program. He's got a residential program in Northern California, a little town called Weimar, the Depression Recovery Program, and that, you know, they're controlling the food, and they're giving them intensive cognitive behavioral therapy, and, and, and they're walking with them and, and doing all these things and the results are just phenomenal. And basically, because he's been doing this for so many years, more than a decade uh, worth of studies, and he's compiled his data, people who stay in his program for more than six months and do the things that he's asking them to do, Get more than a 96 percent success rate as measured by their own scores de- de- before and after. They're they're filling out questionnaires about their anxiety, uh, before their depression before and after, and they're rating themselves happier. And many of them have ditched their pharmaceuticals because they don't feel the need of them. He's not taking them off if they mm-hmm. want to t- keep taking. That's up to them. But if they want to get off, and most people do, you know. Would rather not pay that money to the pharmacy every month. Um, they're having great success within six months. Ninety more than ninety-six percent. I don't remember the actual figure. Ninety-six point something. And for people who are doing it a year, more than ninety-eight percent success rate of people being happier than when they started the program.
0: Hmm. And this is available. Is it a, a peer-led program? It sounds like you'd need someone, a psychologist, to. Oh, yeah, they
1: absolutely have um, licensed psychologists with master's degrees doing the Cognitive Behavioral Therapy, absolutely. He's got those hired, and there for his residential. However, for the community, it's a, it's a turnkey operation that even those of us who are not credentialed in psychology, those of us who you know buy his program, it's you can uh, download the uh, DVDs, as streaming, and there's eight different mm-hmm. ones for e- one for each week, and there's workbooks that people I go see. through. So,
0: sort of a chip for. It's depression. like
1: yes, it's like chip, the, uh-huh. c- the Complete Health Improvement Project. It's absolutely like that because. Dr. Nedley, when he realized he'd found something so powerful to change people's lives for the better, he wanted to bring it to the masses. I mean, the guy is very altruistic. My hat is off to him.
0: hmm And he's Whole Food Plant Based. Yes, he is.
1: Yes, it's he is. So,
0: it's so nice to discover someone who's like good in some other field who's also aligned in this one.
1: Absolutely. Uh-huh. And he's got um, in the New Start program, which is also offered at Weimar, he helps people reverse their diabetes. He helps people. Um, with other challenges, lupus and, and multiple sclerosis, and all these you know, asthma and sinuses and allergies, overweight, acne—all these things improve on a whole food plant-based diet. At his program, he's got a phenomenal program there. You should check it out. New Start,
0: New Start, yeah, what, dot com or something. Or? Um,
1: uh, you can go to drnedley.com. Uh, or I'll, N- I'll, Nedley. Put, I'll put it in the
0: show notes. Yeah, Nedley
1: people. Health Solutions—that's a good one.
0: Okay, great. Yep. Uh, maybe I should have him on the podcast too.
1: Oh, you really should, I, Doctor. He's he, he's on TV. He's got he's on TV in Sweden. He goes all over the world. He's probably if you book him now, you can get him for 2020, the year 2020. Okay. Maybe. Well,
0: <laughs> <laughs> give me something to look forward to. Yes. Anything else that we haven't covered that you think would be useful?
1: I think if we fill our mind with the positive, we're gonna. We're going to do a lot better um, if we fill our mind with the very best things. It's going to strengthen those grooves in our brain called sulci and gyri. Gyri. We can actually
0: say what? Sul- I've never heard those words before.
1: Sulci and gyri. These are the these are the valleys and the peaks in the brain, and they're like the grooves in the brain. You know how the brain is all it's got these little grooves in it. Yeah. And those are called sulci and gyri and and. When we fill our mind with a positive, and we habitually pull our mind into the positive, it's a, yeah, sure, it takes discipline, but we can train ourselves. Cognitive behavioral therapy is very good at training yourself to reject um, the negative, the, the thoughts that are pulling us down, the, the thoughts that are mislabeling ourselves and undervaluing the rewards and, you know, and magnifying the catastrophes, those kinds of thought patterns. If we pull ourselves into that better kind of thinking, the studies have shown that we can actually cut new grooves into our brain and those grooves are our habits you know what what becomes what we become unconsciously competent in Mm. in doing
0: so we can have all these like depression ghost towns that we just don't visit anymore
1: excellent way to put it I love that depression ghost towns that we do not visit anymore that's great
0: cool well dr. Linda Carney thank you so much thanks for putting up with uh the requirement the audio requirements of the podcast of finding this uh, this little balcony here of dealing with all the the vehicles for, for making the trip from from Austin all the way to uh, North Carolina and for all the work and advocacy and education you provide
1: Thank you so much for the honor of, of being on this I, I'm just really grateful for it. it's it been fun Thanks for putting me at ease and making it uh, easy to talk to you
0: a pleasure so have a great trip home I'll talk to you again soon Thanks. All right. I hope you found that useful, a valuable use of an hour and 12 minutes of your life. If you did and you would like to support the mission of this show, you can subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcast. If you'd like to support the show financially and remember that this podcast is free for everyone and supported by those who can afford it, you can go to Patreon.com, search for Plant Yourself and become an ongoing monthly sustainer. I got a new, very generous monthly sustainer, but who didn't want me to add her name to the end because she uh, feels like I say too many names already. So uh, there is that. But if you're listening and you uh, are not becoming a a sustainer of the podcast because you're worried about me saying one more name, don't worry about it. I, I enjoy the challenge. Um, So again, you can do that at Patreon.com or just go to Plant Yourself and search on the right sidebar for the Patreon link. And that way we can join shoulders and bring this message to more and more people. And uh, I have to to do less and less of the subsidizing it all by myself. So you can check out the show notes for today's episode with links to some of the stuff we talked about, the books, the studies over at PlantYourself.com slash 329. And if you're new to the show, there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of archived episodes over at plantyourself.com. Okay, so in garden news, it is attack of the killer zucchinis and summer squash. Uh, We're getting about 10, 15 pounds a day. We're cooking as much as we can. Uh, If you like squash, summer squash, and you live within 100 miles of North Carolina, you should come and jump in your car and come and get some um email me first please um also we're getting a lot of egg plant uh, about i would say a pound and a half two pounds of blueberries a day and so it's you know dog days of summer and uh, we're still working on keeping the deer out we have a a seven and a half foot fence running all the way around the garden but it uh, it doesn't seem to be uh completely deer proof and uh because it's made of this Hard plastic called Tenax. I'm constantly going and fixing bits of it with more zip ties. So, um, anyone got any ideas, humane ideas to uh, encourage the deer to eat from other people's gardens? Let me know. In running news, I joined a gym, got a free month thanks to my running buddy Gary down the road. Got a free month at O2 Fitness, so I am just doing rehab. Josh showed me how to do a 15% incline on a treadmill. And uh, so I'm doing that at about 2.7 to 3.5 miles an hour for about an hour. I'm also swimming and hopefully by the end of a month, I shall be I shall be ready to return to some competition. I sort of have my eye on a 50 K slash 50 miler through the streets of New Orleans, which I believe is the third weekend in October. So uh, hopefully I'll be ready for that. So big appreciation, of course, to let's listen to it for a second. Hmm, Sabali Don, The Dance of Peace by Will Ridenour. Check out WillReidenauer.com for more of his beautiful music. Thanks so much, Will, for letting me use this gorgeous song as the theme music for the Plant Yourself podcast. And, of course, thanks to all of you Plant Yourself podcast patrons. There's a new one whose name I will not be saying, but I can say all the other ones. Here we go. Kim Harrison, Lynn McClellan, Anthony Disson, Brittany Porter, Dominic Marrow, Barbara Whitney, Tammy Black, Amy Good, Amanda Hatterley, Mary Jane Wheeler, Ellen Kennelly, Melissa Cobb, Rachel Burns, Christine Nielsen, Tina Sharf, Tina Ahern, Jen Ganovsky, David Vizek, The Mysterious, Michelle Axel, Elizabeth Feldman, Victoria Dolom, Nova Leia Stoller, Alan Christensen, Colleen Peck, Michelle Andrew, Josina, Julianne Rowland, Stu Dolmick, Sarah Durkis Rhymes, Circus Kelly, Cameron, Wayne Patterson, Leanne Peterson, Janet Selby, Claire Adams, Tom Franek, Jeanette Bedham... Kilasert, David Donahue, Blair Steiber, Dorona, Visov, Jill and Caroline Argentati, Jody, Friesen, Ruth Ann Thunderbrook, Misha Rosen, Michael Warbeck, the equally mysterious Tracy Z, Alicia Lemus, Rebecca Hughes, Val Lineman, Rhymes with Cinnamon, Nick Harper, Stephanie Holmes, Martha Bergner, Nicole Ramsey, Susan Ahmad, Molly Levine, the Inscrutable Harry R, Susan Laverty, the Panda Vegan, Craig Kovac, Adam Sharf, Karen Berry, Heather Morgan, Ashley Corker, and Kelly Machia, Dan Norton, Bonnie Lynch of Plant Happy Oregon, Sabina Kurtzels, Nigel Davies, Marion Blum, Teresa Cople, Shell Ruthless, Julian Watkins. Creed O'Connell, Brian Sheridan, Shannon Hirschman, Kate Rollslund, Ayat, Julie Langholm, Heddegaard, Isa Tuzin, Wakani, Hainline, Aaron Greer, Alicia Davis, Aviva, Lael, Heather O'Connor, Carolyn Jensen, Cherry Olakoski of Plant Powered for Health, Garen Smith, Scott Morani, Karen and Joe Crabtree, Tanya Lewis, Kirby Burton, Teresa Carell, Kevin McCauley, Elizabeth Rothschild, Kelly Baker, Miracle, and Jesse, Cheryl Dwyer, Jenny Hazelton, Janelle Valerie Peltier, Peter W. Evans, Colleen Harrison, Justine Divitt, Joshua Sommermeyer. Dennis Byrd, Darby Kelly, Lori Fanny, Linnea Lundquist, Valerie Humble, Deb Casilla, Emily Kennelly, Lenny Wallach, Rosamond McEntee, Dan Picorni, Stephen Leenan, Patty DiMartino, Mike and Donna Carts, Deanne Bishop, Bill Berry Elf, Gunter Schmidt, Marjorie Lewis, Kelly Molden, Tricia Adams, Ian Murr. Nancy Sheldon, Lindsay Bayshore, Gunmarie Hagen, Ken, Tracy Gulledge, Laura Heeden, Meg for Mama Says, Rochelle Kennedy, Joan Borstein, and Diana Goldman for your generous support of the podcast. That's it for this week. As always, be well, my friends. So if you appreciate the Plant Yourself podcast and would like to help support the mission of the show, there's a few easy ways to do it. One is to just go to wherever you get your podcasts and leave a review. Let other people know about it. Give us some stars. Give us some love. and That really helps us be found by more people. Something else, of course, you can do is let someone know about this podcast, someone... Uh, who you think would benefit, send them maybe a couple of episodes that you think would uh, pique their interest, or just uh, ask them to subscribe in general. And third, you can join ARMS and become a patron, a financial supporter of this show. You may have noticed that there's no advertising in the show, and it's free for everyone, and it's supported, paid for by those who can afford it. So if you would like to make a one-time contribution or an ongoing monthly pledge, you can do so at plantyourself.com slash gift. All right, time for thanks. Thanks to Will Ridenauer for allowing me to use his beautiful song, Sabali Don, The Dance of Peace. You can find more of Will's music at his website, com. And of course, thanks to all of you Plant Yourself podcast patrons. Kim Harrison, Lynn McClellan, Anthony Disson, Brittany Porter, Dominic Maurer, Barbara Whitney, Tammy Black, Amy Good, Amanda Hatherly, Mary Jean Wheeler, Ellen Kennelly, Melissa Cobb, Rachel Behrens, Christine Nielsen, Tina Sharp, Tina Ahern, Jen Filikonofsky, David Vizek, The Mysterious, Michelle X, Elizabeth Feldman, Leah Stoller, Alan Christensen, Colleen Peck, Michelle Andrews, Josina, Sarah Durkis, Rhymes with Circus, Kelly Cameron, Wayne Pedersen, Janet Selby, Kara Adams, Tom Fronzek, Jeanette Benham, Gil Asserte, David Donna Blair Cybert, Toronto, Viso, Gio and Carol Argetati, Jody Friesner with Anne Thunderbird, Misha Rosen, Michael Warbeck. The equally mysterious Tracy Z, Aviva Lael, Alicia Lemus, Rebecca Hughes, Val Lineman, Rhymes with Cinnamon, Nick Harpers and Martha Bergner, Susan Amon, Molly Levine, The Inscrutable, Harry R., Susan Laverty, The Panda vegan, Craig Kovic, Adam Scharf, Karen Burry, Heather Morgan, Kelly Machia, Diane Norton, Bonnie Lynch, Plant Happy Oregon, Sabina Kurtzels, Nigel Davies, Marion Blum, Teresa Copel, Julian Watkins, Reed O'Connell, Channel Hirsch, Shannon Hirschman, Linda Ayat, Colm Hedegaard, Isa Tuziwakani, Hayline, Aaron Greer, Alicia Davis... Heather O'Connor, Carolyn Jensen, Sherry Orlokowski of Plant Powered for Health, Karen Smith, Scott Morani, Karen and Joe Krep, Tanya Lewis, Kirby Burton, Teresa Carell, Kevin McCauley, Elizabeth Rothschild, Ann Jesse, Cheryl Dwyer, Jenny Hazleton, Valerie Peltier, Peter W. Evans, Colleen Harrison, Justine Divitt, Joshua Sommermeyer, Dennis Bird, Darby Kelly, Laurie Fanny, Lynn Lundquist, Valerie Hummel, Emily Iaconelli, Levy Wallach, Rosamond McEntee, Dan McCorney, Stephen Lehman. Pettie Martino, Mike and Donna Carson, Diane Bishop, Bill Brielf, Gunter Schmidt, Marjorie Lewis, Kelly Molden, Trisha Adams, Ian Kramer, Nancy Sheldon, Lindsay Gun Marie Hagen, Tracy College, Laura Heeden, Meg for Mama Says, Rochelle Kennedy, Diana Goldman, Stacey Stokes, Ben Savage, Michael Kay, Holly Butler, Diana David Hughes, Connie Rogers, Claire England, Sally Robertson, Parm Ganchi, Amy Daly, Brian Tourville, Mark Jeffrey Johnson, Josie Dempsey, Karen Schmidt. Pamela Hayden, Emily Perryman, Olga Sidorowska, Alison Corbett, Richard Stone, Lauren Vaught, Edible Musings, Erin Hasty, Sean Owen, Sagar Nayak, Erica Piedra, and Danielle Roberts for your generous support of the podcast. That's it for today. As always, be well, my friends.